Hi there, my name is Kevin, and I'm an alcoholic. So where did the tape cut off? I'll just pick up there. <laughs> the hell with the rest of them. <laughs> my sobriety date is May 5th, 1991. I have a sponsor. His name is Jack. He has a sponsor. His name is Jerry. <clears throat> I haven't talked to my sponsor for a couple of days, which he'll love when I call him tomorrow and, <laughs> and tell him that that's part of your format. Um, his sponsor, Jerry, is a great man. I love him to death. And the last time we were all together, Jerry uh, put his arm around me and he said, You know, Kevin, it's your job to keep Jack sober. (laughs) And they laughed hysterically. (laughs) He said, And you're doing a great job. And and I thought, Oh, wow, that's really cool. And then it took me a few minutes. I'm like, Hey, that's not a compliment. (laughs) So I have have a great sponsor. And he has a great sponsor. And uh, I'm very blessed to be part of the lineage that Val was talking about. I'm very fortunate to be here, and I'm very thankful. And uh, thanks for letting me speak, or asking me to, and thanks, John, for putting up with me for the weekend. We'll see how it goes, you know, trying to behave myself. And and I guess my subject tonight is um, me. (laughs) And it's one of my favorites. And uh, so away we go. Um... I don't see a clock anywhere. Someone gonna? I have a phone, but is someone gonna kind of clue me in when I'm? Or I'll just notice when you're all kind of like shaking in your seats. And, oh God, enough! I grew up in Palo Alto, California. Um, it's an interesting little town. Uh, back then, it was just kind of a fun little college town. We had no idea it was soon to be the center of the computer world. Um, I definitely. Uh, I, I my mom and dad are still married. I have a younger sister. I grew up in what is commonly referred to as a nuclear family. You know, there was, uh, it's just a regular average all-American family. We had a golden retriever, we had a pool, you know, the whole deal. Um, I definitely started uh, hitting sips off dad's drinks when I was younger, and I can remember opening up his beers. Remember back in the days when Coors beer came with the two holes that you had to pop? Okay, good. I see some old folks. That's good. And, uh, and uh, that was kind of fun as a kid to try to pop those beers open. And I'd shake them up and give them to my dad and ha-ha. Uh, and uh, <laughs> and uh, so, but I'll tell you, where the drinking really took off for me, I was 12 years old, and uh, I was in the Boy Scouts of America. And I belonged to a troop that went camping every other weekend and then went out in the Sierras uh, over the summer for these uh, two or three week trips hiking. It was, it was stunning. It was beautiful. But I also noticed that there was this group of older guys that always got to camp a little bit further away from the parents than we did. And they were always hooting and hollering and having a great time. And I just knew there was something cool going on over there. And I'm cool, so I got to get in on that. And when I got old enough, I think I was 12 or 13, some of the, you know, the 14 or 15 year olds kind of initiated me into the gang. And what they were doing was drinking and some other non-conference approved things. And, and I thought, I'm in on that, you know. And I hit drinking and I hit it in stride. You know, I, I, remember, I remember drinking at that age, that middle school age, 12, 13 and 14, and thinking, where has this been? You know, I mean, my God. I, you know, I needed this in kindergarten. 
You know, I just, I really did. I loved it. I just took to it like a fish to water. You know, I don't understand people that I hear in AA say, like, I don't even like the taste of alcohol. I'm like, oh, I love the taste of alcohol. I loved it all. I love Night Train and I love the expensive stuff. You know, it didn't matter to me. You know, I, I just, oh, I just dug it. Um, and, you know, it, uh, it progressed through high school. I was uh, an athlete and a fairly decent student, and I was a fairly decent kid, and uh, I didn't get into too much trouble. I kind of got on the, the sort of dance on the edge, but I was living with my parents, and I was living in a very controlled environment, you know, and there wasn't, uh, there wasn't that much of an opportunity to sort of go over the edge, you know, and really, really get out uh, of the norm. And, and, and so, you know, when... When I look at the big book, and when Bill has, uh, is talking about, you know, uh, the, the phrase he uses, I have arrived, you know, for me that was high school. You know, for, <laughs> I love saying that. I drank normally from 14 to 18. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, you tell that to non-drinkers, non-alcoholics, and they're like, huh? <laughs> what are you talking about? <laughs> but that's where I could actually control my drinking. You know, Bill actually talks about that, and he talks about how he had a time in his life where he could actually make his, his social life work, his personal life work, his business life work, and he could drink. And, and, and it worked out just fine. Yeah, well, as far as he thought. You know, and that, for me, that was then. At 18 years old, I went off to college. I went to the University of Southern California in downtown Los Angeles. Mm. And uh, that's where the wheels came off. You know, I loved it. <laughs> this was the best thing that ever happened to me. I'll, give, I'll tell you two stories about college. It's very important to me not to spend a lot of time talking about drinking. I'm going to take it for granted, since we're in an AA meeting, that you all pretty much know how to drink. You know? <laughs> But you might want to know about how, I, at least how I stay sober. Um, I, my first week at school was uh, the fall of 1982. And uh, back then, the, uh, the guy that started Apple Computers decided to throw a three-day party. And it was a concert called the Us Festival. And you're probably... I don't remember that, but uh, I don't remember much of it either, to be honest with you. <laughs> but all my buddies in my dorm were like, hey, man, we're going to this concert, and everyone's going to be there. There's going to be 250,000 people, and da-da-da-da. And that was the weekend of freshman orientation. You know, that's when you're supposed to go there and find out where your classes are and learn all the right stuff about how to be a good student. And I was like, yeah, man, I'm in. Let's go. You know, and I just went. And we were drunk and stoned for three days straight, and I was just like, God, love college. This rocks. You know, how many more years do we get to do this? <laughs> Sweet. <laughs> this is great. And, uh, and I had an unlimited supply of money. Um, I come from a fairly well-off family. And I had uh, an unlimited supply of alcohol and, and drugs. And it turns out in college, there's a fairly unlimited supply of women, too. And, and I loved that. You know, that was fantastic. <laughs> so my freshman year, one of my buddies, one of my best friends actually pulled me aside. He said, hey, you know what we ought to do for fun? And I was like, no, what should we do for fun? And he's like, you know, um, the graduation ceremonies are coming up. And we can walk through graduation ceremonies. And I was like, how the hell do you do that? You can't go through graduation. He's like, oh, yeah. You rent the cap and gown, and you got, all you do is hand the guy a piece of paper, and he says your name. And they give you this empty diploma holder. There's nothing inside of it. 
I checked it out. And I was like, oh, wow, that's really cool. We didn't do it, but I stored that information. Because if you're the kind of a student that I am, <laughs> you know, I, I recently had to pull my transcripts because uh, I'm in graduate school now. Um, I'll get to that. <laughs> but I, I, I got my transcripts from, and I, I looked at them and, you know, it started off with B's and C's the first semester and it kind of just took a nosedive after that, you know. I mean, a serious nosedive. So after six years of college, uh, <laughs> and, and by the way, USC's private. And so that's, that's an important part of the story. And back then, this is in the early 80s, this was 25000 a year. You know, so my dad was writing a check. And that was, that was a fun amends. <laughs> but uh, after six years, I decided I graduated. And, and <laughs> so using the knowledge I had from my freshman year, <laughs> I ordered up the announcements. I ordered up the cap and gown. I had all my family fly into town. And yeah, it's funny now. <laughs> My parents, 2,000 miles away. <laughs> and uh, I walked through graduation ceremonies, and I was easily a year and a half short. And, um, and yeah, <laughs> I, I, <laughs> I walked through the, I, I don't know why I'm laughing, it's really not funny. <laughs> I walked through the ceremony, the ceremony was Thursday at uh, 9 o'clock in the morning, or 8 o'clock in the morning, and in Los Angeles in May, and it was blazing hot, and I had been drunk for three or four days to, to go into that. Now, um, there were times when my drinking where I got drunk on purpose because I knew that was the only way I could get through the day. And that was one of those days. I knew what I was doing was a sham. I knew it was the biggest lie I'd ever done in my life. And I knew my entire family and friends and network was there to see this. And I was just, it was a, I was a fraud. You know, and, and I want you to hear that because that's pretty much how I lived my life. What you saw on the outside did not match what was going on on the inside, and it was probably a lie. You know, it wasn't just a spiritual difference, it was just an actual outright lie of who I was. Um, so I faked my graduation from college and uh, started an illustrious career in bartending and, uh, <laughs> and a... Uh, I created my own multi-level marketing home pharmaceutical and entrepreneur situation. <laughs> and, uh, and I was a terrible drug dealer. I lost money. <laughs> I don't know how that worked, but I was just horrible at it. And, and, uh, but <laughs> you know, I did that for three years. And so, um, by the way, I'm going to stop just for a second and let you know I have a home group, and my home group is called Denver Thursday Night. Um, we meet in Denver on Thursday night at, <laughs> at 8 o'clock. And we actually, and this is going to really shock you, we meet in the church basement. And it's, um, we have a meeting at 6.30. It's called the Beginner's Meeting, where somebody goes through the, four, or the first three steps in four weeks. They do powerlessness, unmanageability, and then the second step and the third step. And each week they kind of roll through it. And that's an open meeting. And at 8 o'clock, it's a closed meeting. And there's about 120 people that have been coming to our meeting. And it's awesome. I have to tell you, I think it's the best meeting I've ever been to. And, and I, if you're ever in the area, I please invite you to come and let us know you're there. <laughs> We'd love to have you. Um, wow, why did I jump tracks there? Hmm. 
okay, well, whatever. So um, I'm bartending and dealing drugs and losing my ass in the process. And, uh, oh, that's why I was telling you that. Because our format is we have a call-up podium meeting like this, and you're given seven minutes to talk about what you were like, what happened, and what you're like now. And um, someone like Val sits right here, and they have a little sign when you get to five minutes. And it says, warning, you're at five minutes. And then it turn around, it says, you're at seven, sit down. <laughs> and so I'm going to tell you what I was like, what happened, and what I'm like now. So now you've gotten a very good idea of what I was like. Um, what happened was I was at a family reunion in San Luis Obispo, which is about four hours away from where I grew up. It's a beautiful part of the country, by the way. I recommend you visiting there. And uh, I was drunk all weekend, of course, and one of my other my cousins was there, and he was drunk too. And we had the time of our lives, as a matter of fact. He and I peeing all over ourselves. That's always fun. So, but I just want to let you know what kind of drunk I am. I'm not a pretty drunk, you know. And uh, so at the end of this weekend... Um, my dad pulls me aside and says, hey, son, how about we drive home together for the four-hour ride? And I was like, oh, yeah, that sounds great, Dad. And I should have smelled a rat, but he, uh, we got to his car, his brand-new BMW, and he threw me the keys. He's like, why don't you drive? And I was like, oh, yeah, sure, no problem. And I really should have smelled a rat at that point. And we got into the car. We get on the freeway. And in the first five minutes, he pretty much hits me with, you know, you're my only son and I love you, but I don't believe a word out of your mouth. I think you're a liar, a cheat, and a thief. The family's pretty much had it with you. Your younger sister, who used to idolize you, hates you and doesn't want you around anymore. And, and by the way, and he, he has my key ring in his hand and he starts taking off the house keys. You know, I didn't live with them, but I had a key to the house and I had a key to the cars. And he starts taking that stuff off. He's like, you're no longer welcome in our family. And you're no longer welcome in our house. I thought, wow, three hours and 55 minutes to go. <laughs> this is going to really suck. <laughs> and you know, I did what all alcoholics do. You know, you, you paint us into a corner and you put the pressure on us. And man, we turn into weasels. You know, and I started squirming and I started coming up with ideas and, and negotiating and trying to figure my way out. And evidently he had been primed for this because there was no negotiating. He had just locked it down, uh-uh, no way. So we, you know, drove the rest most of the way in silence, you know, me fuming, and uh, got home. Um, and I did what all true tough guy alcoholics do. I called mom, you know. <laughs> I was like, mom, dad. And mom was in on it, you know. <laughs> and mom was like, well, honey. I think if you agreed to see a therapist with him, he might loosen up a little bit. And I was like, hmm, okay, sure, no problem. And uh, so we started, my dad and I started seeing this therapist together. And, uh, you know, it went really well. And I'll tell you what was interesting is that I actually started to uh, sort of confess my sins and cleanse my soul in the therapist's office and really get everything out on the table. And my dad did too, and it really went well. We had a great time. That was in October, and we kept going all the way through um, May. And uh, my folks went out of town for my mom's birthday, and the therapist is like, well, hey, Kevin, why don't you come in anyway? And I was like, oh, yeah, okay, sure, whatever. Now, mind you, I'm still drinking and bartending and 
my other little entrepreneur enterprises, you know, failing. And uh, this is my last 90 days of drinking. Remember how great that was? <laughs> you know, everything's just going really well. <laughs> you know, your world is just collapsing around you, and you're just like, oh, God, what next? You know, and then it happens, you know. You're like, oh, man. And uh, so the parents are gone. I end up in this guy's office on a Thursday morning at 10 o'clock, hung over like there's no tomorrow. And he's like, so, Kevin, what do you want to talk about? And I was like, you know, man, I don't really care. Normally we pick up with my dad and where he, we left off last time. And so I'm cool. And uh, he's like, well, I really have something I want to talk about. But you're the client, so you get to guide us. I'm like, now I'm getting annoyed. And I'm like, no, no, dude, knock yourself out. What do you want to talk about? And he just looks me straight in the eye and he says, you're an alcoholic. And you might be a drug addict. And you need help. And I want you to know that was not the first time I'd ever heard that. You know, I actually had a girlfriend tell me that about a year before. We went skiing for the weekend and we came back. And she looked at me and she said, you know, Kevin, I love you. You're a wonderful man. And I want, you know, I want you to be my boyfriend and I want to be your girlfriend. But you've got to knock off the drinking, the drugs, and sleeping with other women. And <laughs> And I swear to God, I looked at her straight in the eye. I said, can I get back to you on that? <laughs> and, and I did a year later. <laughs> and uh, we'll get to the amends later. Um, so he said, he hits me with the brick. And I'm like, you're right. I am. What do we do? And he's like, well, and he just took a giant sigh of relief. And he's like, you know, you need to call Alcoholics Anonymous. And he said, and I have a friend that runs the local rehab center. He's a doctor named Barry. And i got to tell you, I heard rehab and I heard jail. And I was like, ah, end of spiritual experience, you know. And he's like, here's Barry's phone number. Why don't you give him a call and see if you can connect with him. And I was like, yeah, okay, sure. Yeah, you bet. I'll get right on that. And, uh, and you know, I went, uh, I went home from that feeling, feeling like I had some clarity, you know. I, I, my friend Chris at my home groups describes his life. He's like, you know, it was a series of dramas, crises, and calamities. And the only thing they had in common was me, you know. And I was like, yeah, right. And that's where I was. You know, I don't have one of those dramatic on national television SWAT team stories. Okay. I, I'm a drunk fraternity boy. That's who I am. That's what I am. I did some pretty wild and crazy stuff, but I guarantee you the majority of the people in the room have a more dramatic story than I do. But, but when it comes to understanding whether or not I'm an alcoholic, I'm right there. You know, and, and I am kind of jumping a little bit. But. So I, uh, I get home. You know, of course, I don't call this guy. And then it gets time to go back to therapy. And uh, um, I think I did throw this guy a phone call, and he called back like five times, of course, you know. And I never bothered to return the calls. And, and I walk into therapy again with my dad. And, and the therapist is like, I think Kevin has something he wants to tell us. And I was like, oh, yeah, Dad, I think I'm an alcoholic. And he's like, you know, I was kind of wondering. And, and then uh, so then the therapist says, well, did you get a hold of my friend, Dr. Rosen? And I was like, you know, that guy is so hard to get a hold of. I, mean, I have left him so many messages, you know. And even in my best moments, <laughs> I'm a liar, a cheat, and a thief. And, and he's like, oh, really? Okay. And he turns around, he walks over to his desk, and he dials a phone number, and he's like, Barry? Yeah, it's Julian. You remember that kid I told you about? Yeah, hold on. <laughs> and I was like, 
Hi. <laughs> yeah, sorry, I didn't call you back. Uh-huh, yeah, sorry, uh-huh. And he's like, so look, you want to come in and talk? And I was like, yeah, absolutely. And he's like, well, the only time I have available is next Thursday at 10 o'clock. And I was like, oh, that's not going to work. That's when I see my dad and Julian. And at that moment, they both turned around and went, that's okay. <laughs> you can go meet him. <laughs> so I went and met him. And at this point... Um, by the way, I confessed the fact to my parents that I didn't graduate from college and that it was all a sham. That was interesting. <laughs> and I did, that, I did that in the therapist's office because I wanted a third party in the room. <laughs> and I'm, I'm not kidding, by the way. And I was, he sat on this end of the couch and I sat on that and I was like, okay, can I get to the door? <laughs> and uh, so he... Uh, um, we had, you know, cleared the air, and I had decided to go back to school and finish my degree. And so I was going back to Los Angeles. That's about 500 miles away from where I lived. So I'm meeting with this, uh, the guy that runs the, the rehab center at Sequoia Hospital. And he's like, well, you know, Kevin, you kind of have a, game, a, a thing in play, and, and, I, and I understand that, and that's cool. Um, you know, we met for two hours, and I know that for a fact because he billed me. <laughs> and, uh, and I... Uh, you know, we just had this really great talk, and he kind of, you know, he really put the whammy on me about, and he said, I know you're going back to Los Angeles in a couple of weeks. Do me the favor, do me one favor. The moment you get there, would you go to an Alcoholics Anonymous meeting? And I was like, yeah, absolutely. And of course I didn't, you know, um, no matter how serious I was. Uh, I got there, like three days later, I ended up going to my first meeting. I, I have had a series of angels in my life sort of watching over me. And at this time, um, one of them was the president's secretary at the university, um, the USC. Now, now there's 30,000 students at USC, and there's 5,000 employees at USC. So you need to know, and I'm sure most of you do, when it comes to large institutions like that, the president really doesn't run the place. But the president's secretary has the voice of God, you know. And I was one of her babies. Her, her husband and my dad had been drinking buddies, and her dad, died, her husband died, um, basically of cancer and of liver disease. And her son and I were drinking buddies during my first stint in college. And uh, so I called her up and I said, hey, I'm coming back to school. And she was like, that sounds great. On Monday morning, I want you to in my office at 8 o'clock. I'll help you. And I said, great, fantastic. So I walked into Liz's office and I said, you know, hey, Liz. We sat down, and I was like, so, Liz, I don't know if you realize this, but I didn't really graduate here from USC. And she's like, Kevin, I'm the president's secretary. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Not only do I know, here's the list of people that you need to go talk to. You know, And right on top of that list was a guy named Ron. Ron worked in the athletic department, and he literally traveled the country raising money. Um, and she picked up her phone, and she's like, I want you to go talk to this guy. And I was like, oh, okay, sure. And so she called him up and said, hey, Ron, are you there? And he's like, yeah. And I said, well, I'm going to send this kid over. And, and she said, you know, go straight over and see this guy. Don't stop. I want you to make sure to spend as much time you want talking to this guy. It doesn't bother me. And I said, okay, great. Walked into this guy's office, and lo and behold, what do I find? You know, I find a you know, guy who looks exactly like me. You know, back then I had blonde hair <laughs> and, uh, you know, green eyes, and he's a drunk, ex-drunk fraternity boy. He'd actually been an Olympic <coughs> swimmer as well. And uh, we sat there and talked for two hours. And he told me all about Alcoholics Anonymous. He'd been sober nine years and nine months at that point. And he offered to take me to my first meeting. And I went to my first meeting that night. It was June 3rd, 
1991. Uh, and, and it was the Brentwood Men's Stag at 12,000 12, San Vicente Boulevard in, uh, in Brentwood, California. And if you do the math, I got sober May 5th, and I went to my first meeting June 3rd. So uh, I did the first 28 days on my own. <laughs> that was really fun. <laughs> I watched a lot of Three Stooges reruns and drank a lot of coffee. I don't recommend that. That didn't work out too well. But that's what I did. So I went to my first meeting, and I saw in this meeting a pack of guys, you know, my age and a little bit younger and a little bit older, and they were having fun. And I thought I was going to walk into Alcoholics Anonymous and find a bunch of people pushing shopping carts and trench coats, missing teeth, and smelly. Now, those guys were there, and I like those guys. They're cool. You know, we had a lot in common, which is really weird. But, I mean, we, we just, you know, I clicked with this group. And I found a guy to sponsor me in that group, and his name was Jack. And Jack was this great, big, enormous um, Armenian guy who was a jeweler in downtown Los Angeles. And, and I noticed that he was the sort of the epic center of this gang of like 15 or 20 guys that sort of circled around him. And, and, and they all went out to dinner and did stuff. And I was like, man, see, once again, there's the cool kids, and I'm a cool kid, so I'm going with the cool kids. And I asked Jack to sponsor me, and he was like, sure, I'll be your sponsor. Um, here's my phone number. Call me every day. We go to meetings every night. We go to meetings on weekends. And, and uh, at USC, we had meetings every day at lunch. So when I tell you that the first year and a half of my sobriety, I spent going to, to anywhere from 10 to 15 meetings a week, I'm telling you the truth. I did two a day, Monday through Friday, and then sometimes two or three a day on the weekends. And, you know, I mean, I would love to tell you because it was so much fun and I had such a great time. But the truth is I had nowhere else to go. You know, my family was still like, hey, you're sober. That's great. You just stay right over there. You know, and my friends basically had the same stance. I had burned all my bridges with them. So I'm hanging out with Jack, and I'm hanging out with this crew of guys, and our, our schedule basically is that we go to meetings every night, and here's how it went. Um, we'd meet for dinner at like 5.30 or 6, uh, depending on what time the meeting was. We'd go to the meeting, and we'd go to coffee or uh, ice cream afterwards. And I'd get dropped off at home, or I'd get home by 11 or 12 o'clock at night. I didn't realize that going out was an option. You know, they didn't allow that. You know, they just put your arms around you and come on, here we go. And away we went. Um, about four months into this process, we went and saw this guy speak, a guy from San Diego, his name was Sane. And he, uh, he talked, and it, was, it really touched me, and I can't even tell you what he said. But afterwards, I went up and talked to him afterwards. And I said, he said, you look troubled, what's going on? I said, well, I kind of got this problem. I said, what's your problem? I said, well, I bought this car, but I haven't made any payments on it. <laughs> and he's like, okay. <laughs> and he kind of smiled, that AA smile, like, I know where this is going. And I was like, you know what, I have the car, but they're calling my family and they're calling my friends and they want the car back. But the truth of the matter is that they screwed up the registration. You know how we always have an excuse and a story why it's okay for us to keep something that doesn't belong to us? And... and he looked at me and he just smiled. He said, you know, Kevin, it's been my experience that if something is affecting my sanity, it'll soon affect my sobriety. And nothing is worth my sobriety. 
And I just looked at him and I thought, wow, words of wisdom. You are a genius, you know. I went home that night and I picked up the phone and I called the company, the finance company, and I said, this is Kevin Peterson and this is where I live and this is where your car is and I just want to clean up this matter. And let me tell you, that car was gone by 8 o'clock the next morning. <laughs> now, here's the really funny thing. I told that story one time in Los Angeles, and this old guy comes up to me and goes, where was that? And I said, it was 720 West 28th Street. He's like, yeah, I probably took it. <laughs> I was like, really? <laughs> and uh, so I roll along with these guys for about a year and a half, and I'm having the time of my life. But here's the interesting thing I'm noticing is that amongst our group of guys and sort of the guys that we sponsor and we hang out with, there's sort of this constant revolving door going on. There may have been 15 or 20 guys, but it wasn't always the same 15 or 20 guys. Now, we had commitments at every meeting. And we, and we went to, you know, we, like I said, we went to 10 to 15 meetings a week. And we had sponsees that we made call us every day, and we called our sponsor every day. And it was kind of just, you know, hey, how are you doing? I'm fine. You upset? No, I'm good. Okay, great. See you tonight. Bye. You know, and we called each other. It's been my experience that there's a, a second round of what it was like, what I was like, what happened, and what I'm like now. And that was that's sober. So what ended up happening is that that wasn't working for me anymore. I was starting to sleep around again, cut corners at work, and I got in trouble for that. And I started to write bad checks again. And I started to realize that that was all the stuff I had done drinking. And, I, you know, I had a lot more fun drinking. I didn't have this conscience be beating the hell out of me, you know. And so I thought, well, you know, I think it's time. I think I've done enough of this AA nonsense. And you people are great. But the truth of the matter is, I'm, you know, I'm destined for big things. And, you know, i got to move on. And I confided in a friend of mine named Barry that, that that's what was going on. And he confided back in me that he was going to kill himself. He'd been sober five years, and he was ready to blow his head off. So we talked about that a little bit. Oops. And, uh, sorry about that. <laughs> it's empty. <laughs> and uh, a funny thing happened to Barry. He, uh, he was a pharmacist, and he owned his own pharmacy in Santa Monica. And this guy who we had seen speak many times, and in and, 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 and L.A., most meetings, not most, but a lot of meetings, every night you can go to a speaker meeting and hear all sorts of speakers. And we'd heard this guy speak. His name was Joe. And, and Joe annoyed us because he wasn't funny. He wasn't exciting. He didn't make a ton of dough. And, you know, he didn't have a lot, sort of an entourage of women following him around. And, you know, that's what we wanted. You know, let's be honest. That's why we're here. We're trying to clean up our lives so we can get all the goodies. You know? And he talked about, you know, working the steps out of the big book. He talked about writing inventory, he talked about making amends, and he talked about completing the 12th step, and then going over and doing it again. And that just sounded like a lot of work to us. You know, it's like, come on. And so Joe walked into Barry's pharmacy, and they started having a conversation. And Joe looks at Barry and says, and I'll, I'll try to clean up the language a little bit. If you knew Joe, <laughs> this is not what he said. He said, you look like crap. <laughs> and, and Barry was like, yeah, well, you know, I'm five years sober. I sponsor three guys. I have a guy that I sponsor, is my sponsor. We talk to each other every day. We go to a meeting every night, you know, reading off the litany. And Joe said, yeah, you still look like crap. And my question to you is, where are you in the big book? What step are you on? And Barry was like, 
well, I say the third step prayer every morning. And Joe said, yeah, that's not what I'm talking about. He said, the program of recovery is outlined in the first 164 pages of the big book. And he said, I'll tell you what, we have a little meeting down the street. It's on 2nd and Hill. It meets at 7.30 at night um, in the church. And uh, I'd love to have you there. It's called As It's Outlined in the Big Book. And Barry started going because he was desperate. And an amazing thing happened. I watched my friend change. He no longer wanted to kill himself. He actually wanted to live. He actually wanted to go forward. And he started talking about the weirdest stuff. He started talking about the phenomenon of craving. What the hell was that? You know? Oh, thank you so much. And then he also started talking about the mental obsession and the spiritual malady. And he, and, and he, was, he had asked Joe to sponsor him, and they were working the steps together. And I was at the point where I was, you know, I was at the jumping off point, like jump out, I'm out of here. And uh, so I said, I don't know what's going on, bro, but you've got to take me with you. And he's like, okay. He goes, but you just need to be prepared that if you're going to start hanging out with me in this group, it's going to really piss off Jack and our group. And I was like, really? He's like, I said, and, and, I, and I said, well, whatever. And I, I ended up going to a couple of meetings with Barry, and they, they, my sponsor, Jack, ended up calling me and telling me I had to make a decision. If I was going to go hang out with Barry and his guru, then I couldn't be part of the gang anymore. And i got to tell you, that was an easy decision. And I said, well, then I'm going to go hang out with Barry because I don't know what's going on, but it's working. So I started going to this meeting. I'm going to tell you a little bit about this meeting. How are we doing here? Um, okay. I started going to this meeting, and uh, it was an hour and a half, and it was a closed meeting. We spent the first five minutes in a group meditation, which was awesome. You know, it was just down the street from the ocean. The, the sea breeze was coming through. It was very spiritual, very meditative. It was wonderful. Then we spent the next, depending on the, you know, what the format was, we had a couple of different formats, but primarily what we would do is have somebody speak on a given topic in, in the big book. Or we'd bring someone from another group and they would speak. And they'd speak for half the time. And the other half of the time was for questions. And I don't just mean questions to the speaker. I mean, I could look at Val and say, so last week you were talking about your third step. What happened? How'd that go? You know, and it freaked people out, man. <laughs> you know, where you were making amends, Will, last time I saw you. How did that go? Did you finish your amends? And you had to share back to the group. I mean, it was, it was <laughs> crosstalk was chunk change. You know, we were, this was crossfire, you know. And, and it was a great meeting. It was a great group because basically you had to be accountable to the group. You had to be working your steps. And what I realized once I got over the sheer terror of hanging out with these people is that if you were reading the big book and working the steps, you had nothing to fear. Nobody can rob you of your experience. If, I mean, look, the guys that are new... I have some a suggestion for you, some slight advice. Whenever someone starts talking in Alcoholics Anonymous and they start quoting the big book or giving you big bombs of wisdom, if they don't start the statement with, it's been my experience, stop listening. They're, they're lying. You know, I hope I started with that. But, you know, <laughs> it's been my experience. <laughs> That that's, you can't take away somebody's experience. This is my experience working the steps. This is my experience staying sober. You can't take that away from me. It may be different than yours, and that's okay. 
but this is mine, and, and I'm going to help you get yours. And so, I, uh, so we do that for an hour and a half, and then the last five minutes for another group meditation to sort of cool down, you know. And, and then we'd all go out to dinner, and it was a lot of fun. I identified a guy in that meeting named Miles. And Miles was this ex-surfer who was 40 years old. He was a house painter, and he lived with his mom and dad in Redondo Beach. And I thought, yeah, that's the guy I want to be my sponsor. And he was really cool, man. He was the, I loved this guy. He was awesome. So I cornered him at the meeting, and I said, hey, man, will you sponsor me? And he said, well, what makes you think you're an alcoholic? Huh. Never thought about that. I said, well, you know, I got in a lot of trouble. I've been going to all these stupid meetings for a year and a half, and blah, 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 blah. And he just kind of smiled. He said, here's my phone number. Call me. We'll talk about it. Okay, I thought you never said no to an AA request. You know, what the hell is this guy's problem, you know? So I called him, and and he said, well, you know, Kevin, I'd be happy to work with you. What you need to do is get yourself a brand new big book. You need to read the first 164 pages, and I want you to start at the blank page and go to 164. I want you to highlight everything that reminds you of yourself. I said, okay, great. He said, I want you to be at my house at Friday night at 7 o'clock in Redondo Beach. That's the time I have available. Now, remember, my car had been repossessed, and I lived in downtown Los Angeles, which was about 30 miles away, and that's about an hour's worth of driving. And I said, you know, Miles, here's the deal. I don't really have any transportation, so I was kind of thinking you could come to my house. I swear to God I could hear him smile on the other end of the phone. (laughs) And he's like, you know, Kevin, you don't have anything I want. If you want what I have, you'll be at my house Friday night at 7 o'clock. And guess what? I was at his house Friday night at 7 o'clock for the next year. And sometimes we meet for an hour, and sometimes we meet for three or four hours. And, and we, we did a revolutionary thing. We sat down across from each other. We'd pray. He'd offer me a Pepsi or some coffee. And he'd open up the big book, and he'd read it to me as if I was illiterate. <laughs> And boy, did I love that. <laughs> you know, I'm, here I am back in college, seemed to be captain of industry, you know, um, robber baron of the world. And here's this guy who's a you know, broke house painter teaching me about Alcoholics Anonymous. And, uh, and that's what he did. He read the book to me. And when it said, you know, uh, a statement, we turned it into a question. And when it said, we asked God, we prayed. And when it said, we wrote, we wrote. And we followed the directions explicitly as they were written in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. And at the end of every night, he would, he would finish by closing the book and smiling. And he'd look at me and he'd say, Kevin, do you understand why we're doing this? And I'd say, yes, so I can stay sober for the rest of my life. And he'd say, wrong, come back next week. <laughs> and I'd be the next week, I was like, He'd say, okay, Kevin, do you understand why we're doing this? And I'd say, yes, so I can be a better citizen. And he'd say, wrong, come back next week. <laughs> and he was having the time of his life, you know. And it only took me about eight weeks to figure out, you know. I kept coming up with these brilliant answers, you know. And finally, at like eight weeks, I looked at him and I said, no, Miles, I don't understand why we're doing this. Why are we doing this? And he smiled. And he said, because someday some kid's going to come up to you and ask for help. He's going to call you. He's going to corner you at a meeting. He's going to knock on your door. And he's going to ask you to take him through the steps. And if you aren't properly armed with the facts about yourself, your relationship with God, and your relationship with alcohol, you'll kill him. 
That's why we're doing this. He said, I truly believe that God got us sober for one reason. That's to help others. And that's that. I was like, okay. (laughs) Sure, sounds good. (laughs) But that was a real turning point for me in my sobriety. I think I was a little uh, two, two and a half years sober. And I started to understand that maybe there was more to this than just me getting sober and me getting the goodies. You know? So... We worked through, um, he actually came to my house once. I had knee surgery and couldn't walk. So I got a, I got a waiver for that one. <laughs> and he came to my house and we did my fifth step. Oh, that was fun. <laughs> and, uh, um, you know, we just, we did the steps exactly as they were written um, in, in the book. And then he had to go, he moved to Nevada to take care of his dad who was dying of cancer. And he handed me off to another guy in the group. And, I made, and, and that guy got me through amends. And into 10, 11, and 12. And, um, you know, I'll tell you one story about amends. And then I'll talk about what I'm like now. Um, that girl that I told, can I, you know, can I get back to you on that? Um, her name's Sarah. And she, uh, and I have her permission to tell you this story, by the way. Uh, I, uh, a year later, or, yeah, a year after she gave me the ultimatum and I told her I'd get back to her. I got back to her. And, and I, I saw her, it was like my last 90 days drinking, and I called her up and I was smashed. And I'm like, oh, I love you. You're the only one for me. I can't, I need you. Help me, help me, help me. And she's like, I'm with somebody. You're on your own, chief. You know? And she had come into the bar where I worked and she had brought this friend of hers. And, you know, I was like, oh my God, it's a sign. You're here to save me and help me and take care of me. And, and she's like, yeah, no, I'm not. <laughs> Nice try, though. Um, when I was doing my amends, I literally took two weeks off of work and drove all over California finding people and tracking them down. And I actually flew to Colorado to make amends to some other people. And I couldn't find her. And I knew I needed to make amends to her. And, and, and I truly believe that, that God does for us what we cannot do for ourselves. Because as I got through the amends process, I was staying at my parents' house. I was still living in Southern California. I was up in Northern California Literally just every day, bombing around, making amends. I went and made amends for the two bars that I worked at. I owed them each about five, anywhere from five to $10,000. I couldn't figure it out because, you know, who keeps track of the money you're stealing? And, and, uh, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and, and I, make, I went right to the managers of both places, and I said, look, I'm going to let you know I'm willing to go to jail. Uh, I worked for you for a year and a half, and I pocketed probably anywhere from 20 to $40, and I worked full-time, and da-da-da-da, and... Um, both places looked me straight in the eye and said, well, we don't want the money. All that will do is screw up our books. We, we write off a certain amount of spillage, you know, so, but, you know, what we would like to do is be able to keep your name and keep your number in case we have people that need help. And I was like, sure, no problem. The second place I went to and I was doing this whole men's and this, my boss, her name was Priscilla, and, and she was kind of smiling throughout the whole process. I'm like, what the hell's wrong with this lady? And, and she, so I made the full amends, and she's like, you know, Kevin, I really appreciate you coming here and saying that. She's like, did you know I've been sober 20 years? And I was like, no. She goes, I have never seen anyone do amends as well as you did. <laughs> and I was like, oh, thanks. <laughs> so uh, I'm at my parents' house. I swear to God, a letter comes in the mail from Sarah to my parents' house, because that's the only address she had. And it's a, I was like, I think it was an invitation to her wedding or something. And I was like, I can't believe it. So I called her up. I said, Sarah, it's Kevin Peterson. 
She's like, oh, Kevin, it's so good to hear from you. And I said, hey, you know what? I want to let you know something. I've been sober at this point three years, three or four years in Alcoholics Anonymous, and I'm making amends, and I'm in my ninth step, and I'd like to make amends to you for the way I treated you and for what I did. And then I followed the process that's outlined in the big book, and I got to my favorite part of the amends, and I said, is there anything I've left out? And she's like, yeah. (laughs) And she said, remember that night when you called me and you know, told me you loved me and you wanted me back and then and you'd see me in the bar the week before with my friend? I said, yeah. She said, well, do you remember when I told you I wouldn't get back together with you and that I was with somebody else? And I said, yeah. She goes, then you said, can I have your friend's phone number? Oops. <laughs> Sorry about that. <laughs> I'm really, okay, I need to make amends for that. And I walked through the whole process and I said, is there any, you know, I said, what can I do to set things straight between the two of us? And she said, you've done it. She said, you know, i got to tell you, I always thought I was going to marry you. I said, yeah, I thought I was going to marry you too. I said, what happened? She was like, I got tired of waiting for you. I said, oh, thanks for giving me the opportunity to clean that mess up. I really appreciate that. And she said, no problem. You know, you have actually done me a favor because I would always think of you and all the fun we had but then it would always come back to that last situation. And, um, you know, and that was that bitter taste in my mouth. And you've taken that away. So thanks, I really appreciate that. What I'm like now. Um, I, am a, <laughs> I am a cheerleader for Alcoholics Anonymous. I am an evangelistic member of Alcoholics Anonymous. I lead a book study at Monday night. Uh, I actually meet with a... Um, a sponsor in another 12-step program on Tuesday nights. I go to a book study on Wednesday nights, another book study. That is, it's a potluck at 6, and it's a book study at 7, and we bring in AA, Al-Anon, NA, MA, CA, Co-Anon, which is the CA family of company, and we have food addicts, we have sex addicts, and you know what we do? It's revolutionary. We open up the big book, and we read, and we follow the directions as a group. It's amazing. Thursday night's my home group. Friday night I go to a speaker meeting. And occasionally you'll find me at meetings on the weekends too. About two and a half, three years ago, I had a, I had a uh, moment of clarity. I'd been a salesperson for about 25 years. Uh, I'd made a lot of money. I was very successful at what I did. I had a very good reputation at what I did. And I was hating my job. I had to fight to get out of bed in the morning to go to work. And I was not spiritually fulfilled. And I talked to a couple of buddies of mine that had uh, switched out of sales. One went into nursing and one went into counseling. And I asked them, I said, how would you figure this out? Why would you do that? And one of my buddies, my buddy went into nursing, Brad, he, uh, he said, you know, I realized that if I was going to be of maximum service to God and my fellows, maximum service means more than just one hour a week in a meeting. It means dedicating my life. Now, this is a guy who is part of our lineage as well. You know, the people, the man I, that I look up to, too, there's a couple of men that I look up to in Alcoholics Anonymous, of course, my sponsor and his sponsor, but, you know, that, uh, that, that gentleman down in North Carolina, Tom, and he had a spiritual brother named Don in Denver. And these guys dedicated their lives to helping other people. They weren't in it for the dough. You know, they were in it because they understood this was their calling. And I always thought that kind of sounded cheesy, but I thought, you know, that's what's inside me. I'm 40, at the time, I was 43 years old. I thought I'm halfway through my life expectancy, and I'm miserable. I'm 16 years sober. 
So I went to the local Jesuit school. <laughs> I'm not Catholic. <laughs> and, and I signed up. I, I, well, I signed up. I applied. And I did some explaining of my academic past. <laughs> and uh, they accepted me into their uh, counseling psychology program two and a half years ago. And then they opened up a marriage and family program. And I'm in that program now. And I'll graduate in about a year and a half. And um, I've never been more sure of any decisions other than going to AA in my entire life. God has opened up every single door for me. I haven't had to sweat one detail. Mind you, I had sweated many details and freaked out about many details about money and classes and academics, etc., etc. And God has brought me to a point where I am a straight-A student. The people in my program, and my program is well-respected, they love me. I took a class last summer in substance abuse. They think I am a genius. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Funny thing happened to me last December is one of my professors decided to take a job up in Loyola, Maryland, in um, in, in an institute um, of uh, spirituality and trauma. And she pulled me aside before she left, and she said, "I really think you need to look at our PhD program." I said, "Oh, really?" She said, "Yeah, it's called pastoral counseling." She said, "Don't worry, it's got nothing to do with church, even though it's another uh, Jesuit school." What we do, and this is going to blow your mind, we combine spirituality, <laughs> counseling, and psychology. And we have found that it's amazing the results you get when you bring in a spiritual and meditative presence to trying to heal from wounds. I said, yeah, I understand that. I get that. And she said, well, I really want you to come out here and take a look at our program because you're exactly the kind of student we want. Now, I faked my graduation from college. And I've got a PH, a nationally recognized PhD program asking me to come take a look at their spiritually based counseling. I take no credit for any of this, and I don't say any of this to blow my own horn and impress you. Don't be impressed. Be impressed by what God has done. You know, He has put me in a place where I can be of maximum service to you and my fellows. And I understand today that that is my job. And who knows? This is a year and a half away. I mean, you may never see me again. You know, I hope I end up living here. And I hope I end up going to that program. But I have no idea. But once again, God's created a path. And it's just for me to show up and do the work. Um, if you're new, you never have to drink again. Relapse does not have to be part of your story. You can stay sober one day at a time. And that's all we ask. Um, it's the greatest journey you'll ever be on. You're amongst some of the most wonderful people I know and I've ever met in my entire life. And, and that is a great, great, great blessing. Thank you very much.